Well, good evening. It's always disconcerting when the, um, the vicar hands out newspapers before you come to speak. I'm not quite sure how to take that. Um, in the beginning was the author. The answer to the question not yet posed. Solution to a mystery not yet disclosed. Liberator to a regime not yet imposed. And there in the background as the story unfolds, holding his run like a young Paul Scholes, waiting as priests, poets and prophets foretold of the author of all love and life and all that is good. And then bang, in a moment that is cosmically linkable, the author becomes unthinkably shrinkable. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Because the author comes down to meet us, the king of the world becomes a fetus. And from Judean hills, the story was broadcast. And some logged on, hooked up, tuned in. And to those who did with a wireless connection, the author promised life and resurrection. Weaving tales, leaving trails, breaking jails, removing scales from people's eyes open to a kingdom where humanity hails the author. But then impaled. You see, love is just words until action prevails. And this point is proven by blood drawn by nails. And squaring up sin and death, the author wails, it is finished. But that's just the finale of season six. Because in season seven's a box full of tricks. The author smashes death in the face with a spade because hell cannot hold his loving tirade. And for 2,000 years, the story continues. Get yourself plugged in like there's nothing to lose. To reach for your settings and turn your Li-Fi on. Because the author is still speaking. His heart is still beating. And the story is love. And with it he frees us. Because the author has a name. And his name is Jesus. Good evening. My name is Phil. Um, I live just down the road in Birmingham. It's a real privilege. It feels like a home game this evening, being just down the road. Um, I'm married to a beautiful girl called Danny. Uh, she's got a boy's name, but she's definitely a girl. Um, we've got a little boy called Caleb, um, who is nearly four, very excitable, um, full of the joys of now autumn. Um, and um, I thought, what better way to introduce Caleb to you by, than by showing you my favourite video of him. So turn yours to the screen. This is Caleb. Just being great. He just keeps going and going. Beautiful. Thank you, Caleb. Um, tonight I want to talk to you about how to keep going and how you might know the story that will save you. Because I believe we live in an incredibly instant culture. I don't know about you, but I find myself infuriated day in, day out, while the spinning wheel goes round on my phone, where my phone tells me it's connected, where, where things just don't happen quickly enough, where fast food is, takes, long, takes longer than 30 seconds. I'm like, I want it now. We live in an incredibly instant culture. And I, we're working with young people in my work of YFC. Um, you can get to know this quite a bit. By the way, if you've never heard of YFC, um, we, uh, we work in over 140 nations across the world. Um, I'm part of the British leadership team. We, our mission in Britain is to take the good news relevantly to every young person in Britain. Basically, we're trying to see every single young person have the opportunity to make an informed decision about following Jesus or not. It's an amazing mission. We work with about a quarter of a million young people every month. Isn't that amazing? In schools, in prisons, in communities, wherever young people are, we're trying to be there 
We want to help them understand the love of God and give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's an incredible cause to have given my life to. And, um, and I'm privileged to have got to know some of the young people in this church and delighted that you are one of the churches who we serve with our resources. And so it's a real privilege to partner with you in that. Um, but young people sum up so often this instant culture in which we live. Um, this image was taken by a young person on Twitter um, who took a little selfie of himself just in front of his exams and, and tweeted, just failed all my GCSEs and disqualified from taking public exams for the next five years, but it's worth it for the retweets. Fantastic instant culture. And um, Did you know that one in four millennials, that's 18 to 30s, think that they are going to be well known by the time they are 25 years old? Instant culture, instant culture. We read a book recently on what is now known as Generation Z. So those born after the, after the year 2000 are known as Generation Z, and they are distinctly different to any other generation that has been before them. And this book was, was looking at the cultural characteristics of this generation. And it was just packed full of quotes. And some of them summed up what is an increasingly addiction to a, a, an instant culture. Um, this guy, Nick, said this. Don't let your drunk mate who can't spell give you a tattoo. I've now got Chelsea FC on my back forever or until I can afford the laser thing. Uh, Ryan said, I've never been to a cinema in my life. Why would you when there's illegal downloading and Netflix? And no, I've never bought a CD. I don't think I, I know anyone who has either. We live in a world that is instant. Let's have it now. And uh, did you know that even now, the way in which our brains are being wired, and the younger you are, the more prevalent this is in you, um, that your brain is being wired uh, to, um, to handle quick bursts of information a lot quicker and a lot better but you're less good at reading long prose and have less of an attention span because of this instant culture and the way in which the internet is, is, is shaping our brains. But I want to tell you this evening that there is no quick fix with faith. That following Jesus is not a quick sprint, but it's a marathon. And there are various points at which, as I look at, across you this evening, you, you are at the, at the, on that journey of faith. But wherever you're on the journey of faith, I want to urge you to keep going. Because the Bible says over and over again that faith is not a quick downloadable app. But that is something we have to keep going and keep going and persevere with. And I want to talk to us a little bit this evening about how we do that. The Bible says in a number of places this word perseverance. Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. 2 Thessalonians 1, therefore amongst God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So how do we persevere? Well, if you read um, that passage in, at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, that's going to be the focus for our time this evening. The next verse goes on to say, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured on the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
the message version of the translation translate, translates uh, that third verse as this. It says, when you find yourself flagging, go over the story again. It will shoot adrenaline into your souls. When you find yourself flagging in the journey of faith, go over the story again. It will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And what's also very interesting is sometimes we take passages like this out of context and we don't look at what's gone on before. But if you look to the previous chapter of Romans, there's this incredible anthology of story after story of God's people. We look back at this amazing, famous chapter about faith in Hebrews 11 that says, By faith it was Abel, by faith Jacob, by by faith Joseph, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham. What the author to the, to the letter to the Hebrews writes is that go over the story. These are the people in this time. God had this impact with this story upon these people. He's urging the, the readers to, to go over the story again and again. What tri- what's interesting is, is as we look at our society today and as we look at the newspapers in the pews today, I think we look at a society that's lost its sense of story, that's lost its place in the story that has no overarching narrative in which to find itself. In fact, um, a a sociologist called Joseph Campbell, quoted frequently by a a comedian called Russell Brand, says this, all the problems we're experiencing, economic disparity, ecological meltdown, crime, alienisation, war, starvation, are the result of us having no communal myth. A story that unites us, defines us in relationship to ourselves, other people and nature. And you know, one of the most beautiful things about following Jesus is that we have a story. We have a story. And this story has incredible power. And I want to urge you tonight to throw yourself into this story. To get to know this story. To let the words of this story and the people in this story never be far from your ears, from your eyes and from your lips. And I want to urge you as you get to know this story, as you throw yourself into this story, you get to know the author. And the author's deepest desire is to know you. We find ourselves in the story and we keep going through the story. My little boy, um, as I'm sure you are aware, kids love stories. I think we're actually wired for story. I think that we were created by the creator of the universe to know story. And my little boy at the moment, his favorite thing in the whole world is Peter Rabbit. And can you just wave at me if, as a child, you just loved a bit of Peter Rabbit? That's beautiful. That's it's like a response. Thank you, Lord. Take a photo. Um, and, um, but they've done something terrible to Peter Rabbit. Computers have vomited all over Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit, if you've not seen it, looks like this. Okay? And there's this insane theme song. Peter Rabbit, I'm a good husband, but a bad parent. Um, in the sense that what happens at weekends, I'm in charge, so I give my wife a lion. But then I put the TV on and fall asleep on the sofa while Caleb watches CBeebies. And CBeebies has lots of kind of very kind of chilled out music, chilled out TV, so, TV songs. But then Peter Rabbit comes on and you're like, what the? And you kind of, it kind of wakes you up out of your skin. It's terrible for those of us with a heart condition. We're like, ah! And um, Peter Rabbit jumps out and this is what they've done to him. Um, but my, my son is so involved in Peter Rabbit. He watches so much Peter Rabbit that the story has almost embodied him. There are a few moments now where you kind of go to play with Caleb and you say, Caleb, would you like daddy to play with you? And he says, no, you're not daddy, you're Benjamin. And I'm like, okay, 
okay, that's great. And I'm like, who are you? And he said, I'm Peter. And mummy's Lily. Lily's a new character, this little pink one with the... And, and, uh, and we have to be Peter and Benjamin. And we, when we go, we then eat bananas, which are carrots, because he doesn't quite like carrots, so he has to have bananas to pretend they're carrots. But he's so involved. And we dropped him off at nursery a few months ago. And he gets out the car, and we're walking to nursery, and we're going, come on, Caleb. And he's doing this. And I'm like, Caleb, what are you doing? He's going, I'm Peter Rabbit. And we're like, the kids will not like that. Your friends might think you're a bit odd. But he's thrown himself so into the story that the story has embodied, embodied him. And so it is with the story of God. That the more that we get to know the story, the more that we get to know the author of the story, the more the story inhabits our hearts, the more we'll be like Jesus. The more we find our way in the world. The more we're able to bring God's life and presence to those people and those situations around us. We have a story. I remember... Um, when I was a teenager, I would come downstairs um, every morning and find my parents sat there in the kitchen reading their Bibles together. had a profound effect on me, and I aspire to be like that. I'm not quite there yet, but by the time Caleb's a teenager, I aspire to be that parent who every morning I'm there in the kitchen reading the Bible. On the way to school when I was in year seven, eight, and nine, and my dad would drive me into town, and then I'd get the bus um, out to school. And in the, in, in the, in the car on the way, uh, my uh, um, dad and I would memorize Bible verses. And those Bible verses I still know today, they've inhabited me. My parents are people who aspire to know and let the story become part of them. And when the rubber hits the road, when the storms come, it's the story inside you and it's the verse inside you that will save you. Because um, about 12 years ago, uh, my, uh, my dad sadly died. I was 21 years old. And um, he had a massive um, heart failure. And um, uh, the night my dad died, my mum is upstairs uh, reading her Bible. Her uh, husband of 25 years has just died. And um, she's just crying out to God. God, what happens next? And she feels led to Psalm 68, verse 5, which says, A father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Did she just stumble across that? Was it kind of like, just pick a verse, open the Bible and see what happens? I don't believe so. Because my mum was so, the story was so part of her. Those verses were so part of her that when she's there in that moment crying out to God, it's the verse inside her. It's her deep knowledge of scripture that saves her. May we let the story embody and empower us. Because the story does a few things. The first of all, the story tells us who we are. My uh, little boy um, is always hungry. Um, and uh, when he's not being Peter Rabbit, he wants food. And um, not, uh, not long ago, he's, um, he's walking past the kitchen. It's about 11.30 in the morning. He goes in to uh, Danny, my wife. My, my wife's making kind of soup for dinner. And he goes in and he says, Mummy, I want a nap. Which is his word for snack. And... Um, uh, Danny says, oh, it's, very, it's very nice. It's 11.30, Caleb, and it's um, not dinner time for another 45 minutes. And he goes, no, mummy, I said I want a neck. And uh, Danny should know at this point not, not to negotiate with toddlers or terrorists, um, but um, instead turns around and says, I'm afraid, Caleb, still 45 minutes to go. I'm going to find something to do. So Caleb, at this point, sees on the, on the uh, side of uh, our kitchen one of my espresso mugs, picks it up, looks at Danny and goes, no. Mummy, knack. And she says, Caleb, I hope you're not about to do what I think you're about to do. 
I've told you, you need to wait till lunchtime. And so he looks at her, gets the cup, throws it on the floor. Mummy, I want a knack. At which point, of course, World War Three breaks out in our house. And she's like, right, naughty spot. Picks him up, takes him to the top of the stairs, plonks him down on the top of the stairs and says, right, that is it. And, of course, I come downstairs, World War Three's broken out. By the way, naughty spots, right? How is that a punishment? If you get said to me, you can have 10 minutes on your own at the top of the stairs every day for you to think, I would go, I'd, I'd stuff, stuff dreams are made of, isn't it? Goodness me. I don't know how it's punished. But anyway, so I come downstairs, World War Three's broken out, Caleb's there, tears coming down his face, his cheeks are red, and he won't look at me. He's going, sorry, daddy, sorry, sorry, sorry. He won't look at me. So I go over to him and I say, Caleb, it's okay. Sorry, daddy, sorry. And I turn his face towards mine. And I look him in the eyes. And I say, Caleb, I love you, and I forgive you, and it's going to be okay. The beautiful truth of Christianity, the message of the story, is a God who turns our face towards his, who looks us in the eye and says, I love you, and I forgive you, and it's going to be okay. Because not only is this story, the the beautiful story of God from creation to revelation, not only is it the, the... the blueprint from how we are to live as, as people and, and the story of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came from highest heaven to lowest earth to, to live amongst us and, and die for us and rise again that we might be free. But over and over again, the story tells us who we are, that we are loved people, that we are forgiven people and that we have a purpose and a destiny and it's going to be okay. The story tells us who we are. Secondly, the story tells us whose we are. This is Stephen Aquari. He's a Tanzanian athlete. And in the Mexican 1968 uh, Olympics, um, he took part in the marathon. And he starts out and um, he, uh, he, he was, it was going well. But, but because of the height and the conditions in, in Mexico City, not many athletes finished. 75 people started the race, but only 57 finished. And after 12 miles, he dislocated his knee and badly injured his shoulder. Now, at that point, 99.9% of athletes would have chosen to give up. But Stephen carried on. And for the rest of the 14.1 miles, he kept going and kept going and kept going. As he came into the stadium, it was well over an hour after the winner had crossed the line. There were only about 1,000 people left. Most people had gone home. This small crowd realised what was happening and cheered and cheered him and pushed him across the line. As he crossed the line, the medal ceremony was long gone. But a few media people were left. It had gone dark, but they went up to him and said, tell us, what, tell us the story. What happened? Why did you keep going? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. What Stephen knew is that he wasn't an individual on his own. He was connected to a people. And this story at the beginning of this chapter of Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, those who will go ahead of us, those who are around us now in in this church, in this nation and in the nations, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness. And in the story, we find our place because this story isn't just ours in an individual iPad, iPhone, have it your way generation. It belongs to everybody else too. And you find out whose you are in the story, not just who you are. 
and this story, this knowledge that you're connected to a people, that you're not a lone ranger, helps you keep going. Like Stephen Aquari in the 1968 Olympics. Finally, the story continues from generation to generation. There's an ancient um, African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We're not just connected to those of us in our own age group. We're also connected from generation to generation. One of the verses that, that breaks my heart most in the Bible is from Judges chapter 2, verse 10. that says, after that, a generation grew up, had gone to their fathers. Another generation grew up who know, knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Somehow what happens from generation to generation is there's a break. A generation doesn't know the story. A generation doesn't know what the Lord has done for Israel. We need to be a church that are connected intergenerationally. And I can't tell you what a joy it is to look at the beauty and the spectrum of ages in this congregation this evening. I also want to tell you um, a few things about your church, which you may not know. Uh, Your young people are absolutely incredible. We, um, I'm sure you know that, but we had, I had the privilege, this is the little weekend away, uh, I say little, there's quite a few of us, um, that had the privilege of going on um, to Cloverly Hall with, uh, with the team in, uh, in February. And um, I want to tell you that this is an incredible community of young people, led by gifted and passionate and committed leaders. That this is a generation of young people who are sold out for Jesus. This is a generation of young people who are passionate about their pursuit of him. It's a generation of young people who, who love one another, who look out for one another, who've got one another's backs, who also look up to those who are older than them. And as a church, you'd be surprised the churches I go to that don't have a youth group like this. Treasure them and continue to invest in them. They are not just the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And you need them and they need you. And uh, one of the challenges that I want to give you this evening is don't let them, if you're not involved in some way in the youth and children's ministry in this church, don't let them be someone else's problem and someone else's joy. If all you can do is just pray for them, then do so. But I want to urge you that youth work is not just for a select few. Children's work is not an individual pursuit. It's the job of the whole church. And if you're not involved in some way in investing in the lives of those who are younger than you in the church, then I want to urge you to do so. That goes for you who, those for you who look quite young as well. If you're a teenager here tonight, consider those who are younger and older than you. Consider how you might be able to be connected to those generations around you. One of the most beautiful things about church is that it's all generations, all backgrounds, all together. We must never lose sight of that. I believe it's an incredible strength of the church. And we need to continue to press into that in this church and in the church as a whole. We did some really interesting research as well, I say, uh, into what young people look for in a youth worker. 85% of young people came back and said they look for a parent or grandparent-like figure. It's not just the, those of us, and I'm just about there, who are, uh, who are younger, who are involved in youth ministry. It's all ages. And I want to urge you to get involved. That May you be involved in other people's stories, um, not just your own. So this evening, may you keep going. I suppose that's my first thing I want to urge you to do. That no matter where you are on your journey of faith, may you keep going. Don't give up. It's worth it.
Keep going. Second of all, throw yourself into the story. I don't know what your personal devotional life is like at the moment. But I want to urge you to be people who get to know the story. Who memorize the story. Who throw yourself into God's word on a daily basis. Who know it. Because it's the verses inside you that will save you. And thirdly, let's be people who are intergenerational. Let's be people who invest in the lives younger than us. Let's all be be people who look to those who are older than us, further on in the journey of faith. And seek to learn and seek to know. The, The wisdom of age and the enthusiasm of youth is an incredible combination. To the shoulders broad we have clambered upon. To the voices roar that have cheered us on. To the hardened hands that have battled and fought. This is a tribute to those who have taught us, encouraged us, willed us to thrive. Who've handed us the wheel when they've wanted to drive. And to those who've listened to us when life has been poo. To those that we've looked at and said, I want to be like you. To the pastors and dream casters. Intercessors and ancestors. Game raisers and trailblazers. Old ages and backstages, uplifters and little gifters. For the quiet words and little chats that would keep us from a backslide and the many other times we've needed a kick up the backside. For the cups of tea and looks in the eyes, for the cheers, the beers, the tears, the years of prayer and care and battle cries. Take a two pound coin and read it round the rim for its inscriptions, indentations, sing a deeper hymn. Of the power of empowerment, the logic of alliance, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And now to those trailing in our wake, may your impact cause hell's deepest caverns to shake. May others glide behind you in your slipstream in their time. And may your shoulders be broad enough for others to climb. Let's stand, shall we? I wonder if I might invite the worship bands up. And um, let's bow our heads, shall we, for a moment. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. My experience of the Spirit is that it comforts where it needs to comfort, disturbs and challenges where he needs to do that. And I just wonder if you in your own heart might just have a moment of honesty and clarity before God. Just pray in your heart. Father, would you speak to me in this moment? I feel like for some of us, it's uh, the challenge to keep going is hard. We feel a bit maybe like that athlete who's a long way from the stadium, whose knees knackered and there's no one around. I feel the Lord wants to come alongside you this evening and urge you just to keep going. Where the situations where 
whether it be work or school or family, and it's just hard. And your father wants to put his arm around you and say, keep going. I'm with you. I'm with you. And if only you knew what a cloud of witnesses were with you. Keep going. I feel like for some of us, it's that thing of story and that the Father this evening wants to um, challenge us to be, to let the story invade us more. That we know that that time of intimacy that we should be having each day doesn't happen as much as it could. Finally, I wonder whether there's some of us who, um, there's a two-way street of, we know that, we could, be do, we could be doing more to invest in those further behind us on the journey. But also we know that there's some who are further on who, we could, who could really help us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring people to mind who we know we need to grow a relationship with whether they be groups of people in this church community or whether they be individuals who we need to spend more time with to become more like Jesus. Father, I thank you for this incredible church. Thank you for all that you're doing in young and old. Father, I pray that each and every one of us may keep going, may press into all that you have for us. May we be people who know the story, who find our place in it. May we be people who invest in those further behind and allow those further ahead to inspire us, encourage us. Thank you, Spirit, that you're not done with us. May we press into all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen.